It's been a privilege for Pastor John and I to step in here and help Cliff get to finish Galatians. And today we're going to start a new series. Uh, we're going to be in the Gospel of Mark. Uh, is where we're going to get our series, uh, and we're going to get we're going to get started. So, how many of you guys know that Joe is a St. Louis Cardinal baseball fan? Yeah, me too. It's annoying, isn't it? Yeah. And uh, so, when I went to Bible college, it was 1982, and unfortunately for me, a Cubs fan. In 1982, the St. Louis Cardinals won the World Series. Uh, it was a miserable day for me, but for Joe, it was. It was great. Uh, they were in St. Louis. Uh, there was a massive amount of people. Joe was down at the stadium. Uh, they beat the Brewers. It was exciting and fun, and people were celebrating all over the city. And we were down there uh, at the ball game and just celebrating with the group of people. And eventually, the masses got ready to disband and go home. And so we were headed back to the college, and there were people everywhere. And then out of nowhere, Joe gets hit right upside the head, right, with something. Just knocks him down, right? And I run over there and he's laying on the ground and he's moaning and he's groaning and he's been hit in the head. And I look around and I find what the culprit was and I reach over and it's a can of 7-Up. And I grabbed it and he's on the floor, oh, you know, and I looked at him and I said, Joe, listen, you're going to be fine. You just got hit by a soft drink. I am so sorry. Listen, if, listen, if you people would stop laughing at his stupid jokes on the weekend, I'd tell better jokes, okay? So, anyway, we're in, uh, we're gonna, we're gonna jump into Mark, and one of the things we're gonna do, one, uh, the, one of the things I get to do, and starting the book of Mark, is I get to talk about John Mark. Um, you know, we don't often talk about more than just a cursory uh, idea of who writes these letters that fill up the pages um, of our Bible. And John Mark is a unique, of all, listen, of all the guys that I've studied in the New Testament, John Mark is truly one of the most amazing people in all of the New Testament. And I'm not sure that most people really appreciate that. And understand that story. And so before Cliff jumps into the actual uh, letter that Mark wrote, the gospel account that Mark wrote, today we're going to study Mark. And so one of the challenges, one of the challenges uh, that face churches almost on a regular basis, like I said, I didn't grow up in church. So by the time I got there, I wasn't a fully formed human being. I was a teenager. Um, I was 17, but I was functional, right? I had a brain, I could think. And so when I went to Bible college, I didn't have a lot of church background. I didn't have a lot of church noise in my head. Like Pastor Greg talked about being raised in a church. I didn't have any of that uh, that I had to had to go through. And so one of the things I recognized pretty quickly in churches is that there was this friction. And one of the frictions that I saw pretty quickly in church as I went through Bible college was this idea that what was more important, right? When it came to church, what was the most important thing? Was it the mission, right? Was it the mission the church had or was it the per, the people, right? Because... You can go to churches just about anywhere and you can find oftentimes a conflict between certain groups of people that the mission of the church is more important than anything, right? When it comes to the mission, we do it no matter what the cost. And you go to other churches and you find yourself in a position where people in that church will value the people of the mission to be the most important thing. Right, We'll stop the mission if we need to take care of this one person, if we need to cater to this one person, if we need to make sure this one person's okay, that's what we should do, right? That the mission should wait because it's the people, right? It's our relationships that matter more than the mission. And so that's a, listen, that right there becomes an epicenter conversation with John Mark. What's more important, 
right? The mission or the man? Is it about people, right? Is it about people and how they feel and what they're going through, right? Or is it about just getting the job done no matter what? Right? If this person can't pull the rope, then you pull them off the rope and you put somebody else on and you pull the rope because that's what matters. You gotta get the job done. In Mark's life, that becomes not just the epicenter, I believe, of Mark's life. It also becomes the defining moment of Mark's life. And so we're just gonna jump into here. There's no one text. We're gonna cover several of them. Um, here in scripture. So if you got your Bibles, uh, I just want you to encourage you to follow along. If you got them on your phone, I will, we will have the scriptures up on the screen as well. But the first thing I want to talk about with Mark is a tough job, a tough job. How many of you can remember the hardest job or the worst job you've ever had? Yeah. Mine was, and you know, this is going to every generation, you know, when people say their toughest job from every generation, the generation before makes fun of it, right? Uh, but I would have to say the worst job I had, the one I despise the most was a job called detasseling corn. Does anybody know what detasseling corn is? So back in Illinois, they would gather together a bunch of dumb kids together. They'd put them on a school bus at six in the morning They'd drive them an hour and a half up into central Illinois and they would send us into these fields that were a mile long and a mile wide, right? These corn fields. And then we would be responsible for detasseling the corn, right? We would pull the head off of the top of that plant and it would be eight rows of that. And then two rows, we would leave the heads on so they would fertilize, right? The rest of that corn. And we would walk, we would walk in miserable heat or rain and then miserable heat or rain and miserable cold. We would do that all day long, right? We would do that all day long. And then we would get back on the bus and we would drive the hour and a half back home. And by the time we get home, it'd be seven thirty, eight o'clock at night. And we'd back at it at six o'clock in the morning. And we would do that every day, seven days a week. Sometimes two weeks we did it. Sometimes three weeks we did it. It was miserable. It was one of the worst jobs I've ever had. I hated it. Hated it. I did like it because it got me away from home, but I hated it, right? It was so miserable. How many of you ever did tasseled corn? Okay, a handful of you, right? You understand I'm saying it was terrible, right? It was a miserable job, right? Well, Mark had one of those jobs. So let's look at some scriptures here to talk about John Mark. Here's the first thing. Acts 12. That's the first mention we get of John Mark in scripture, right? So the apostolic ministry is started after the resurrection. It's primarily Peter and John, right? Doing all the work by eventually chapter 11 and chapter 12. We find the first martyr, right? John's brother, James, the gospel writer, John, his brother, James is beheaded. And in chapter 11 or chapter 12, we find Peter arrested. And basically, he's going to suffer the same fate. So the church is gathering to pray for Peter, right? They're praying in that space. And here's what Acts 12, 12 says. When this had dawned on him, Peter, after he's been prayed for, the angel shows up, right? He realizes it's not a dream. He walks out of prison. It says when this had dawned on him, he went to the house of Mary, the mother of John, who's also called Mark, right? So that is the first mention we get of John where many people had gathered and were praying. So we get just a really small glimpse of John Mark in Acts 12. And here's what we find out. John Mark's mother was Mary, the name that almost every other woman in the New Testament had, right? Mary, but here's how we distinguish her. She is the mother of John Mark. Clearly, listen, Peter was dazed when he got out of prison from the dream, from what had happened with the angel. And the first place he went was this house, a house that he's clearly known to go to before, a house that the church was praying in. So it's a large house. 
We know from Acts 12, there's a servant girl there, right? Who runs to the outer gate. So not only was the house large, but more than likely John Mark came from a family that had some wealth. And this is the first glimpse we get of John Mark. A place that Peter had been to enough to know that when he staggered out of prison, the first place he went to was her house. So it was a familiar place, more than likely indicating that Peter also knew her son, John Mark. Look what it says in Acts chapter 13, or 12, 12, 25. So Barnabas and Saul are getting ready to go on their first missionary journey. It says, when Barnabas and Saul had finished their mission, which was delivering money, right? Delivering money to Jerusalem for the, the, the poor and the needy in that community. They made their way back to Antioch. When they had finished their mission, they returned from Jerusalem, taking with them John, also called Mark. So pastors, Barnabas and Paul, take the money that was raised by Antioch Christians to help the needy folk in Jerusalem, John Mark accompanies them on that journey. Okay? Now in Acts chapter 13, in verse 4 and 5, Paul and Barnabas are officially getting ready to go. It says the two of them, Barnabas and Saul, sent on their way by the Holy Spirit, went down to Seleucia and sailed from there to Cyprus. When they arrived at Salamis, they proclaimed the word of God in the Jewish synagogues. John, right, who's also called Mark, was with them as their, everybody read that word, helper. Seems like a good word, right? It's nice to know Christina got up here this morning and she talks as she do as she does on most Tuesdays about opportunities for you and I to come along and help. Help doesn't seem like such a bad word, does it? But when you look at the Greek word that we translate helper, you get a whole different story. Because John Mark had a really tough job. The Greek word that we translate helper in the Greek is the word that means under rower. Everybody say under rower. Right? Not underwear, under rower, right? Under rower. What that meant was when it came to a ship, there were men, right, underneath the ship and they would sit right? Basically at the bottom of the boat and they would have these long oars in their hand that would go out the side and they would power those ships by rowing the boat. Do you get the picture? These massive wood cargo vessels weren't powered by coal or steam, right? Or any type of power. It was powered by people. And guess who one of those people was? John Mark. And if you do a little research on what an under rower actually did, it was a miserable job. And can you imagine being stuck in the bottom of a boat, rowing the boat day after day after day after day on these stormy seas, no matter what the weather was like, whether it was frigid cold or whether it was steaming hot, whether it was dry or whether it was raining. Guess what? Guess where an under rower was at? He was under and he was doing what? He was rowing. John Mark had a miserable job. When he went with Paul and he went with Barnabas on a missionary journey, it wasn't a glamorous trip. He was there as a helper, as a servant, right? Let me remind you, as I was reminded in preparing this, that one of the things that we have as believers is a tough job. Listen to Galatians 5.13. You, my brothers and sisters, were called to be what? Aren't you grateful for the freedom we have in Jesus? Amen. He says, but do not use your freedom to indulge the what? Sinful nature. Listen, your freedom isn't to be used selfishly, but our freedom in Christ is to be used for what? Rather, everybody read this with me. Serve. Right? Serve one another in love. Right? The idea that we are a doulos. 
right, from the Greek word duleo, which means to be a slave, a bondservant, a person who is actually in chains for somebody else. How about John 12, 26? It says this. It says, whoever serves, right, me must follow me and where I am, my what? My servant also will be. My father will honor the one who serves me, right? The reality is we don't, here's the great thing about being a new generation, right? In 2023, we don't have to invent the wheel when it comes to following Jesus. Jesus said this, if you're going to, if you're going to follow me, all you got to do is be where I am. And where would Jesus be today? He would be serving the people, right? We don't got to come up with all these brainiac ideas. You don't want to know where God is at, where Jesus is at. It's in the place of serving other people. How about Matthew 20, 27? He says it this way. And whoever wants to be first, right, must be your slave. And just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. Listen, John Mark had a bad job. An under rower. Not a glamorous position. Yes, he got to go. Yes, he was with John Mar, or yes, he was with Paul, and yes, he was with Barnabas, but he was an under rower. He was a servant, a helper. Well, guess what? That's the role that all of us who know Jesus, and if you know Jesus this morning, can I hear you say amen? Listen, our job is to serve and to give our lives as ransom for other people. Here's what Mark wrote in Mark chapter 9. He wrote this, but they kept quiet because on the way they had argued about who was the greatest. One of my favorite stories in the gospel is these teenage boys following Jesus and arguing about who was the greatest. It's a typical conversation of teenage boys. Boys, right? Sitting down, Jesus called the 12 and said this. If anyone wants to be first, he must be the very last and the what? Servant of all. Listen, I, I absolutely love the privilege of being able to preach and teach. I'm grateful that God's called me and asked me to do that. But it does not supersede the call that God has for all of us as believers that our job is to serve other people. This is simply exercising the gift that God's given me. Doesn't excuse me from the freedom I have in Christ to serve other people, right? The reality is that for all of us, listen, following Jesus, if you do it right, it's a tough job. Because I don't know if you've ever tried to serve other people, but they're not very nice most of the time, right? They're not very nice. Listen, I, I, I was in food service for years, ran restaurants for 10 years. And I can tell you, I got paid to run restaurants, to serve other people. They're not very nice. They can be difficult. Listen, when you go to follow Jesus, sometimes, most of the time, if you're doing it right, you're just going to be an under rower. You're just going to be somebody that serves Jesus. Yes, John Mark had a tough job. But you know what? When it comes to being a Christian, the Bible says our job is to be a slave, a bondservant to other people. So I just want to encourage you and remind you, listen, it's easy to make all this about us. But at the end of the day, what we've been given in Jesus is primarily for us to use to serve other people. Does that make sense to you, church? Listen, it's part of the reason why Cliff and his team are working so hard to make you aware of the church that you belong to, that we are a church that wants to be about serving our community, right? Serving this nation, serving our, our world. And so all of these opportunities to serve, whether it's the Ronald McDonald House, right? Whether it's Night to Shine, whether it's manning a camera here, whatever it is, passing communion, whatever the, the opportunity is, we want you to be aware of the multitude of, of those opportunities because at the end of the day, listen, we all have a tough job to do in Jesus. Amen, church? But here's the next thing that happened. Mark made a bad decision. He made a bad decision. Anybody in here ever make a bad decision? Right. Ray, I just want to make sure I heard you say amen. Right. 
Acts 13, 13, we pick up the narrative of Paul. So, so John Mark's house was a house clearly known to Peter and his leadership of the church in Jerusalem, right? John Mark gets the privilege of going with Paul and Barnabas to deliver money to Jerusalem. And then when Paul and Barnabas set out to go on their missionary journey, they take John Mark with them as an under rower, a very difficult job. We pick up the narrative in verse 13 of chapter 13 of Acts. It says from Paphos, Paul and his companions sailed to Perga in Pamphylia, where John what? He left them and he returned to Jerusalem. He didn't go to Antioch, right? He didn't go back to where they were at. He left them and he went back to Jerusalem. The Antioch church had set them aside to do the work and he's leaving the work before it's done and he goes back to Jerusalem, right? He leaves them. And then we don't hear from him for a little bit. And then the narrative picks back up, right, in Acts chapter 15, because now we have completed the journey, right, the first missionary journey. We've had the the debate over the Jerusalem council about what should Gentiles do in relationship to the Jewish law. And that all happened in Acts 15. And when they finally came to an agreement about what should be told to the Gentiles, Paul decides he wants to go back out on the road and go back to the churches they've planted to strengthen the brethren, to encourage them in the second missionary journey. Paul and Barnabas have a slight disagreement about what should happen. Sometime later it says in verse 36, Paul says to Barnabas, let's go back. Let's visit the brothers in all the towns, he says, where we preach the word of the Lord. Let's see how these people are doing. Barnabas wanted to take John, also called Mark, with them, but Paul did not think it wise to take him because he had, everybody read this word, deserted. Now let's leave that verse right there. That word deserted is used in the New Testament to describe an individual who quote unquote falls away from the Lord. Greg talked about, right, people would know that he had fallen when he put his class ring back on. That's such a funny story because I used to do the same thing. That's so funny, right? But this is a word that's used to describe a person who falls away or abandons their faith. It basically in the Greek means for somebody to stand, like if all of you were standing in a group and then one of you decided to step away from that group, that's the picture that's painted here, right? Paul's description of Mark was, he deserted us. He abandoned us. He stepped away from us. We're not taking him. And see, the man or the mission? What's more important here? Is it about John Mark? Listen, John Mark needs to be believed in. He needs to be encouraged. He's a young man. He made a bad decision. And Barnabas says, let's take him with us. And Paul says, no way. The mission's more important. He had a shot. He failed. I'm not taking him. And the Bible says this. It says that Paul said he deserted them in Pamphylia and didn't continue with them in the work. And then look what happens. They had such a what? Sharp disagreement. In the Greek, that means a rather intense, explosive conversation. It wasn't two people sitting calmly and going, I want to take John Mark. I don't really want to. Well, I'd really like to take him. No, according to the Greek word, that Greek word is used to describe something that blew up rather rapidly and was incredibly intense. Paul, the Apostle Paul, who wrote, who wrote the majority of the New Testament we read, who met Jesus on the road to Damascus, is screaming and hollering at his friend Barnabas over whether they should take John Mark back with them on a mission trip. I don't know about you, but aren't you grateful stuff like that's in the Bible? It gives me a sense that it's not just hokey pokey, right? That two people who are passionate about the Lord and the work actually disagree. It happens, right? It happens. Part of, it, it happens. But this is a conflict. And let's be clear here. John Mark made a bad decision. John Mark had a rare privilege. Yes, he had a terrible job. He had a terrible job. 
but he made the decision to abandon the work. And when it came time to, to start the work again, Barnabas was all about taking him. He was all about bringing him along. And Paul said, no way, uh-uh, never, never going to happen. And they had a fight about it. They got in each other's face about it, right? And so here's what it says. They parted company. So these good friends that did the work together, Barnabas, who took Paul, right? Who took Saul in and brought him to the church. Barnabas, who was his protector. When, you remember when Saul became a Christian? Everybody was scared to death of him. They didn't believe his conversion. And who was the guy that took Paul or Saul by the hand? It was Barnabas. He was the guy that was there that introduced him to the church and said, this is real. He's one of our guys. He's our friend. He's our buddy, right? You could trust him. It was Barnabas. And now these two people part. And it says Barnabas took Mark, sailed for Cyprus. Paul chose Silas and he left, commended by the brothers to the grace of the Lord. They went through Syria, Cilicia, and they strengthened the churches. Mark made a bad decision. I don't know about you, but this has always been one of my frustrations in church. I went to Bible college in the early 1980s with zero background in church. And here's one of the things that was said often at Bible college to us trainees at the time. That the church, that the church is the only place that shoots its wounded. That the church is the only place that shoots its wounded. And what they meant was, church isn't really a good place to make mistakes. Anybody here ever experienced that in a church? Listen, the reality is that churches at times aren't a place oftentimes to be human. Because humans make mistakes. Am I speaking the truth? Yeah, we make mistakes. Well, what do you do when you're going to church? What do you do when you got your hand to the plow? What do you do when you're pulling on the rope and then all of a sudden in the middle of that you make a mistake? Depending on the church you go to and the group of Christians that you're hanging around with, you could be kicked out. You could be ostracized. Right? You could be done away with. Because the reality is a church oftentimes isn't a very good place to make bad decisions. Because people in church tend to hold those bad decisions against you. And the reality is It's one of the worst representations of Jesus ever performed by believers. Because I don't know if you know this or not, but do you know how many of your sins and your bad decisions that Jesus holds against you? How many? None. The Bible says he holds so little against you that he removes them as far as the east is from the west and he remembers them. Everybody say that again. No more. You want to represent Jesus? Practice that behavior with people that fail. You see, we always say, you know, you look up on the internet, you know, uh, famous quotes about failure. And there's so many famous, I mean, quotes about failure, right? Failure doesn't have to define us and blah, blah, blah. Do you know how many people have left the church because the church has made sure that their failure defined them? So many. It's over and over again. Listen, I experienced that. I mean, Pastor Joe and I have been friends for 42 years. 42 years this year. Joe's journey with Jesus for the most part has been one straight road. A couple hills, but it's been pretty straight. Mine looked like a map taking all the backcountry roads. Right? I started out straight and narrow, and eventually I made a left-hand turn, and my road disappeared for seven years. Was it seen for a long, long, long time? And here's what happened. I got divorced out of Bible college. I was 22. My wife had left me. I was divorced. But I had a Bible college degree to be a preacher in the Christian church in 1986. I can tell you that a divorced, educated, graduated preacher in the Christian church in 1986, didn't have many welcome mats. Because that's just not the way the church looked upon failure. 
And when it came to John Mark and, and it came to Barnabas and Paul, it's irrelevant who was right or who was wrong. Here's what happened. Mark left the work. He made a bad decision. Yes, he had a terrible job. And at times, it's hard to be an under rower. It's hard to be a servant of all. But he made a bad decision. He deserted the work. And Paul and Barnabas so disagreed about next steps that they parted ways and they split, right? For several years, they're not even connected. All because of how we observe one man's failure. Now God, to his ever-loving credit, never wastes a thing, does he? He takes Paul and he takes Silas and he does amazing work. He also takes Barnabas and Mark and we're going to learn, does amazing work. So at the end of the day, it doesn't boil down to what's more important, the mission or the man. They're inseparable. We can't do the work without you. Somebody say amen. Right? And if it's you and I, our job is to do the work. Can I get an amen? They're inseparable. The minute we start separating what's more important, this is when we make these kind of decisions. And so I wandered away from church for seven years because a divorced, educated, Bible college graduate preacher-to-be didn't have many welcome mats in the church. I couldn't even date girls in the Christian church because every girl I tried to date in the Christian church, their parents would tell that daughter, you can't date him, he's divorced. It was a very discouraging journey for seven years to experience that representation of God's grace. Let's read a couple of scriptures here. Psalm 73 says this, my flesh, and see if this, that you can't relate to this. My flesh and my heart may what? May fail. Anybody relate to that? Of course you do. My flesh and my heart may fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion for how long? Forever. How about this verse in Jeremiah 8, 4? Jeremiah was told by God, say to them, this is what the Lord says. When men fall down, anybody in here ever fall down? Of course we have. He says, when men fall down, do they not what? Get up, right? When a man does what? Turns away, like John Mark does. Does he not return? Listen, if you listen to Christian people, at times, no. Men who fall, they're failures. And men who walk away, listen, they should just stay deserters because we're going to treat you that way. That is not the way God has treated any of us. It's just not. How about this verse? It says in Proverbs chapter 24, Do not lie in wait like an outlaw against a righteous man's house. and Do not raid his dwelling place. For though a righteous man falls, how many times? Anybody relate to falling seven times? Of course you can. Anybody relate to falling 10 times, 15 times? Listen, we do. We're human, right? Does a righteous man fall seven times? He rises again, but the wicked are brought down by that same calamity. Listen, failure, right? Failure is a part of our journey. And the reality is God's desire for us is never to stay down. It's to get back up. But man, do you know how hard it is to fail and get back up when those around you are over you, telling you, this is who you are. You're the failure who fell. You're the deserter who walked away. So just stay away and just stay down. Listen, may that never be our representation of Jesus. Because it's never his representation to us. Right? Listen, when God saves, he saves. When God forgives, he forgives. And when God forgets, he forgets. So what does Paul say? Paul says of your failure and of my failure, of our past, he says, here's the one thing I do. I forget where, forget what is what for what's behind. And I press on to what's ahead. <coughs> it's hard to forget what's behind when the people beside you remind you of it. Right? Listen, John Mark made a bad decision. He departed from the work. And Paul and Barnabas fought over it. But is there anybody listening that can't relate to John Mark making a mistake? Of course we can. Of course we can. And some of you can relate to the argument that Paul and Barnabas had over what they should do. Heck, no, we're not going to take him. He deserted. Well, yes, we're going to take him. We're going to give him another chance. Many of you can relate to that story as well. Because you've been the voice of one of those two people in an exact same situation. Do we forgive and bring him back or do we kick him aside because mission's more important than man or is it man more important than mission? Listen, you can't do one without the other people. 
We got to be in this together. And part of our responsibility is to work with people who fail. Psalm 30, Psalm 37 in verse 23 and 24 says this. If the Lord delights in a man's way, he makes his step firm. Though that man does what? Stumbles. He will not fall. Why? For the Lord upholds him with his hand. Aren't you grateful that when you fail and when you stumble, it is God who still holds you up by his right hand church? Listen, let's just, let's just make a promise to each other today that though a man may fall, though a man or a righteous woman or a righteous man may fall seven times, though they fall seven times, we're going to let them get back up. Because when a person falls, do they not get back up? When they walk away, do they not return? We've got to allow people to do that. Mark made a bad decision. Bart made a bad decision, but is a bad decision the end of the road? Yes or no? No. Man, may we never make that the case for other people. And you're going to ask, well, how many times you do it? Isn't that funny? That's the same question that Peter asked. How many times are we supposed to forgive people? Up to seven times? And what did Jesus say? Yeah. He said some stupid number to the Jewish people. Because seven was the perfect number. You want to be like God, forgive him seven times. And what Jesus said, no, 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 no. You take seven, you multiply it by some crazy number like 70, and that's how many times you do it. And that number to a Jew, that's ridiculousness. Isn't that what we're supposed to do? You say, well, how many times am I supposed to, how many times am I supposed to help a righteous man who falls up? Well, what, what would Jesus do? How many times would he help? Every time. Yeah, John Mark failed. But a failure isn't the end, church. At least it doesn't have to be. Because it's not when it comes to God. And here's the last thing that happens. We have a good choice. So we have a tough job. We've got a bad decision. And now we have a good choice. So they split, right? Barnabas and Paul go one way. Or, or Barnabas and John Mark go one way. And Paul and Silas go another. And it's years. It's years before we hear about John Mark again. And here's the reason... Right, We learn this little trick in Galatians 4, Paul writing a letter, one of his prison epistles. Paul writes, my fellow prisoner Aristarchus sends you his greetings, as does who? Mark, who happens to be the what? <laughs> so maybe part of the reason why Barnabas wanted to take Mark back was that he was his cousin. They were family, right? But apparently... John, or Paul, recognizes Mark, once again, right, who's in the work, right, who's in the work because he says, as does Mark, the cousin of Barnabas, says, you have received instructions about who? Mark. You've received instructions about Mark. He says, if he comes to you, Welcome him. I can imagine the story of John Mark with Paul and Barnabas was a fairly well-known story. Even though there wasn't social media, I guarantee you that gossip spread like hot fire. Right? And Paul's in prison writing this letter to a church and he says this. You've gotten instructions on John Mark. I'm sure they did. I'm sure they knew the story. And he says, if he comes, do what? Welcome him. It's a good choice, isn't it? It's good to see that that choice is being made. I want to read another verse to you in Philemon. In verse 24, Paul again writing this letter says of this at the end of the letter. And so do Mark... Aristarchus, Demas, that's an important name, we're going to come back again, and Luke, my fellow, my fellow what? Workers. So now we've gone from a deserter, right? We've gone from being a deserter to welcoming him and now Paul calling him his fellow what? Worker. Good choices being made, right? Good choices. We've got a bad decision. Now we're seeing some good choices made. Right? Now I want you to listen to this verse in 1 Peter 5. So in 1 Peter 5, 
Peter's writing a letter to a group of people who are being persecuted. Rome, listen, Rome was a, was a wicked, wicked empire. Wicked empire. And persecution has sprung out on these believers, right? At some point in time, we know Peter from history goes to Rome and preaches. Because we know that Peter is ultimately beheaded in Rome. Right? Sort of around the time that Nero sets fire, fire to Rome and blames Christians, Peter finds himself beheaded in all of this mess. But Peter clearly goes to Rome because he writes in 1 Peter 5, she who is in where? And Babylon is a code word for Rome because this letter was written to Christians who were being persecuted. And so to be sort of tricky so that not to get these people in more trouble, they use the code phrase Rome. So we know, he says, she who is of Rome, chosen together with you, sends her greetings, and so does my, say it again, my what? Peter, the apostle, Peter who preached on the day of Pentecost, is now referring to Mark as his what? Son. You see, John didn't go from having a bad job or having a tough job to making a bad decision to now being welcomed, being a fellow worker, and now being called my son without the help of good people. And one of the things that really struck me about John Mark, he is a unique individual in scripture. John Mark got to spend years working beside the apostle Paul. I don't know about you. I've worked for 13 years beside Pastor Joe and I love him, but he's not the apostle Paul. I know sometimes he thinks he is. No, I'm just kidding. But what a privilege that John Mark, nondescript, not called to be a pastor, not an apostle. He just happened to grow up in a house where Mary was his mother. She clearly was a believer and he got to be connected to these people. And so he travels with Mark or travels with Paul and Barnabas and then he leaves, he leaves Paul and the work. And who picks him up? Barnabas. And here's what we know about Barnabas. His name in the Greek, does anybody know what the name Barnabas means? Son of encouragement. So who takes John Mark? The one who encourages. Who calls him his son? Peter. So now you go from spending time with Paul and then you get to do God's work with who? Peter. Yeah? Do you know how many people got to do what John Mark got to do? Very, very few. Very few. And in the middle of that, he decided to abandon the work. And guess who picked him up? Barnabas, who encouraged him. And Peter, who developed him. To where he calls him his son. My son Mark. And the story comes full circle because in 2 Timothy 4, Paul's at the end of his life. He's now chained in a, in a Roman prison. And, and I preached uh, a few weeks ago on the weekend and described to you this Roman prison, right? Basically this prison that Paul was in, there was a, there was a level that was at the floor. There was a hole in the ground. And then underneath that hole was the place that Paul was chained to. That's where he spent the remainder of his days. And he wrote from that perch. And in 2 Timothy 4, Paul's in that space, chained, knowing his life is coming to an end. Paul, and he writes this. He says, do your best to come to me quickly. For Demas, we read Demas earlier, who was a co-worker. Because Demas has loved this world and has what? Sound familiar? Demas has left and deserted me, and he's gone to Thessalonica. Secretions has gone to Galatia, and Titus has gone to Dalmatia. Only Luke is with me. Listen to what Paul, in a lower dungeon, 
chained to a wall with a hole above him in a, in a cell above him are other prisoners who use that hole to defecate into his cell. He's in that space, chained to a wall and writing this letter. And who does he ask for? At the end of Paul's life, of all the people he knows, who is it he asked for? Get Mark. What? How do we go from having a terrible job to making a bad decision to where Paul, in the worst conditions you and I could ever imagine, at the end of his life, he says, get Mark and bring him with you because he is same word, same word used in Acts 13 to describe the first job that John had with Paul, which was he was a helper. And then he left. And now Paul says, go get him because he's an under rower again to me and my ministry. How did we get here? How does a guy go that high and fall that far and get back here? Because there were a lot of good choices that were made along the way. Men like Barnabas who encouraged him. Peter who picked him up and trained him and taught him and encouraged him along the way. Do you how many more seats in this auditorium and in every church across this stinking country would be fuller if people who did what Mark did during the work and then failed were picked up by a Barnabas or picked up by a Peter? Do you know how many more of them would be back becoming helpful in the ministry again? A bunch. We have lost many Demases to the world. But we've also run a lot of John Marks off. And it's time we stop that. It's time we understand the power of a full circle that includes failure. I just want to read a couple verses to you here. Ephesians 4.29, just to remind you and I. Do not let any unwholesome, not any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths. What should come out of our mouths? Here's what should come out of our mouths. Only what is that word is a powerful word. Only what's helpful for doing what? Building others up according to their needs. Not yours. Not yours. Not mine. Most of our speech toward other people is designed to build our needs up. He says, speak what builds up according to their needs that it may benefit those who what? We often say things that benefit those who speak, not those who listen. Our words should be encouraging, building up. How about this verse in 1 Thessalonians 5.11? Therefore, what? Encourage one another and build each other up just as in fact you are doing. Hebrews 10.24 says it this way. Let's consider how we may what? Spur one another on toward love and good deeds. Let's not give up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing. Listen, why Why is this meeting important on Tuesday at 1030? Part of the reason this meeting is important, he says, is because we come together. We should encourage one another. And all the more as we see the day approaching. Anybody think Jesus is closer now to coming than ever before? You know what we should be doing? Not separating, but gathering. But gathering, why? Because we need each other now. More than ever with the day approaching, we need each other. And you know what people need more than anything? They need to be encouraged. They need to be built up. They need to be spurred on to love and good deeds. So if you know somebody who should be here gathering with us so we can be loving and encouraging to each other, listen, invite them to come back. I know there are days that we have to watch online. I know there are times that we should, that we need to separate because of travel or because of sickness. But the goal of a church family isn't to separate, it's to gather. 
so that we can encourage and build each other up. And all this talk about our world getting darker and Jesus going to come, then do you know what should happen? The church should gather. We should build up and encourage one another. How about 1 Thessalonians 5.14 says this, and we urge you, brothers, warn those who are what? Idle, doing nothing, and encourage the who? The timid, right? Help the weak and be patient with who? Listen, those are good choices. And people who've had tough jobs and made bad decisions oftentimes needs one person, just one person to make a good choice. And then the last verse is this, Proverbs chapter 10 and verse 11. The mouth of the righteous is a fountain of what? Life. But violence overwhelms the mouth of the wicked. The proverb writer also said that there is the power of life and death in the tongue. Listen, I don't know about you, but I wouldn't be here today if it wasn't for somebody making some good choices because I was a guy that joined the work and then I was a guy that abandoned the work. And I'm a guy now who's been called by my buddy 13 years ago to come and say, can you join me in Ormond because you'd be helpful to me in ministry. I didn't get here on my own. There are people in that seven year journey that were my Barnabas and that were my Peter that made it possible for me to be here. And my guess is that for every one of you here, you can relate to that story at some way or another. Listen, I want to encourage you as we study Mark to remember the man. He's significant in the telling of the story. His story is like many of ours. Great start, bad middle, wonderful finish. We don't get there on our own. We all need a Barnabas and we all need a Peter because we all fail. Amen, church? So let's build each other up and encourage each other. Father, today I just want to say thank you. Thank you for, first of all, all the patience and grace given to me to to preach and to teach. I know that I took a little longer. So I pray that the food's warm and the food's good as we wait for it. I thank you, Lord, for people that come alongside when we are weak and we are timid. That there are those who breathe life into us. Father, make us people who breathe life into other people. Help us to understand it's sin that brings death, but it's you who brings life. And if we represent you, Lord, may our words and may our actions be those that bring life to those around us. I am so grateful that John Mark fell and got back up. I'm humbled to hear a man like Paul when he says, bring him, bring him to me because he's helpful to me in ministry. Thank you for the hope that that gives me and gives all of us of your grace and of your goodness. In Jesus' name, amen.